Good morning, y'all. How are you doing? Good. You have a good weekend? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you seem, you seem like you had a good weekend. It's been a, it's been a week. It's been a week. And I'm grateful to see all of you here today. Thank you for responding to God's call to be together in worship. Because sometimes we think that we are showing up just of our, our own accord because it worked for our schedule today because, you know, we got enough rest last night. And those things are sort of true. But also, we are called here because God wants us here. We don't just show up in worship by happenstance. We show up because God calls us to be in God's presence. So thank you for responding to that call today so that together we could collectively offer that diverse worship up to God as God always intended it to be. Today we are continuing on in Genesis. We're looking at Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 9. Uh, And Uh, when we come in, well, you know what, let's just read it. I usually give you a little blah, 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 but then I cover it later on and then I'm wasting your time. So we won't do that today. Not that I ever waste your time. That's what you're supposed to say. No, Jessica, we love it. (laughs) So when we jump into Genesis 12 today, see, I'm going to do what I said I wasn't going to do. We're just coming out of the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that? Where all of God's people come, or all of the people in the world come together and they build this huge tower to try and reach God? That has just happened. It's been thwarted. And now we're coming to the story of Abram. So verses one through nine. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him, Lot's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there for the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram sent out, set out and continued toward the Negev. Friends, if you will join me, I invite you to pray in your heart, in your mind, and in your spirit as we ask for God to reveal his truth to us. Please pray with me. God, as we come to your scriptures, we know that we cannot interpret them rightly without your spirit leading us, guiding us, informing us. We know we can't speak them well, we can't hear them well without you being the one who teaches us. That gets complicated because we're sort of imperfect. We mess stuff up, we don't focus, we stutter over our words. And so we pray, God, that even in the midst of our brokenness and imperfection, that your truth might be known to us. 
and not just known in our heads, but felt in our hearts and embraced in our souls so that somehow we might carry that truth with us today and throughout the week, sharing good news, reminding ourselves that you have only good news for us, and being people who are good news to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week here at San Marino Community Church, we started a sermon series for the new year that's considering how we as individuals and how we collectively might be called by God for a purpose. And the concept of being called, when we talk about that, it's a Christianese word, and it's not really uh, definable. We say it, we don't always know what it means. And it's not necessarily an easy concept for us to wrap our heads around being called. Sometimes when we imagine being called by God, many of us might imagine lightning from the sky or a booming voice from the heavens, or maybe maybe just something internally dramatic that happens within us and then that overwhelms our everyday experience with a sense of clarity and undeniable purpose so that we never doubt that we are living within God's voice and calling. Some of us here might imagine that being called is an exclusive event reserved for just a few people who do remarkable things, people like Martin Luther King Jr., whose ministry and life we remember this weekend, or people like presidents and world leaders, or maybe Nobel Prize winners, or maybe people who invent incredible things like uh, airplanes and nuclear power and the internet. That's weird. I have two blank sheets of paper in the midst of this. I wonder if that means we're missing two sheets. No, we're not. We're fine. Where were we? Here we were. So when it comes to calling, we sometimes have these these thoughts about what calling might be or how it might manifest itself in our lives, but it's usually something that's out of the ordinary. And yet at the same time, the truth is that when it comes to calling, what we see about calling from scripture is a very different story. When scripture describes humanity and creation as being called by God, we are called by God out of nothing. And it describes this God who is hovering expectantly in the midst of blankness. We talked about this last week, a God who is hovering, meaning that God, in order to hover, is moving an incredible amount in order to appear to be very still, like a hummingbird or like a helicopter, which is important for us to remember, particularly in the times where we think that God is absent because we can't see God moving. Just because we can't see God moving doesn't mean that God is moving, right? Right? Right side is really stepping it up today, guys. Central, left side. I mean, there's more of you. I'm I'm just saying. (laughs) Scripture tells us something really different about calling. And it's out of this steady presence of God in the midst of nothingness that God's creativity ignites. It's not out of loud shows of God's movement. It's out of the stillness, out of the blankness that God brings forth God's best work bringing light out of the dark, 
bringing water out of the air, bringing creatures from the dust, and then painting God's own face onto every face of humanity that has ever walked on earth. When God creates, when God calls, there is no lightning, there's no loud booming voices from heaven. Rather, there is a separating and an ordering and a crafting and a creating to a new rhythm of days and nights. There is a God that is drawing out one thing at a time rather than having it all at once. And there is a God who is hovering, who is appearing not to move at all as God draws something out of nothing. And God reorders the ordinary into something extraordinary. That is what calling looks like when we look at scripture. And when we look at our scripture for today, we can see that it's out of this same deliberate and gracious spirit that God calls Abram. Our scripture for today starts at the moment that God calls Abram, but this is not actually the first time that we meet Abram in scripture. We first meet Abram in the chapter right before this one, in chapter 11, where Abram's name is listed along with his wife Sarai in a genealogy that follows the flood with Noah and the ark. It's funny because Abram doesn't really stand out in the midst of this genealogy. He's just one of a many of a list of names. It doesn't begin with Abram. It doesn't end with Abram. It talks more about his father, Terhon. What makes it interesting is that in chapter 12, this chapter for today, God starts with Abram. Abram, just this 75-year-old brother of three, father of none, who has achieved nothing up to that point that the Bible felt was worth recording. Just one man plucked out of several generations who followed Noah's safe landing ashore. So in the first 11 chapters of the Bible, we went from looking at this huge canvas of all of creation and the whole entire world to now just focusing on this tiny corner of it with Abram. And in those first 11 chapters, things haven't been going all that great. God started with creating the garden and Adam and Eve and calling everything good. That was nice. But then things take this quick turn. Adam and Eve, they disobey God, which is another way of saying that they sinned. They sinned, they disobeyed God. They're thrown out of the garden, left saddled with the consequences of that sin. And then their children start murdering one another. And then scripture says that the evil of humanity grows to be so pervasive that God wipes out all of creation in the flood, only to watch humanity resurrect itself into a society that is still slaves to that self-serving fear that we see in the Tower of Babel. First 11 chapters aren't all off to that great of a start. And so you see in the first 11 chapters, God is dealing with humanity by speaking a language of punishment and curse. You disobey me in the garden, you're going to be cursed with your own consequences. You're going to kill your brother, well then you're going to be exiled. God will protect you, but you'll be exiled. You're going to be evil. Well, then I'm going to wipe out all of the planet. You're going to build a tower. Well, I'm going to scatter you. There is a language of consequence and curse. And yet for those first 11 chapters, it's really apparent that it's not working. 
using that language is not actually helping humanity to start dealing head on with its fears. And it's its fears that are humanity's worst enemy. Adam and Eve were ashamed not because they had sinned, not because they had disobeyed God. Adam and Eve were ashamed because they were naked. God gave them clothes. Cain feared after he murdered his brother Abel, he was afraid not because he had disobeyed God and was going to be punished by being killed himself, but because he was afraid that others were going to arbitrarily kill him just like he had arbitrarily killed Abel. So God protected him. At the end of the Tower of Babel, the people, they did not fear God's instruction. God had given them the instruction to scatter, to cover the earth. They didn't fear God's instruction. They weren't worried about God's intervention, but rather they feared that once they were scattered, they wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't have any power. And so they come together and they create this tower. And what does God do? He scatters them like they were supposed to do in the first place. Clearly, punishments and curses in the first 11 chapters of the scripture, they're not working. They're not working to adhere and align all of creation with God's first purposes of goodness. And so what we are seeing in our chapter for today, don't miss it, what we are seeing in our chapter for today in chapter 12 is God changing the tactics. Here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we see that the language that's being spoken in the first 11 chapters of Bible, the language of consequences and punishment and curses, we see that that language is now being interrupted for the very first time by a language of blessing. And it's not an arbitrary blessing that is being offered by osmosis through the air or through the sun or through the water. It's a specific blessing that is being offered to all of humanity through one man, Abram. Abram, that 75-year-old man with nothing remarkable about him, just one name amidst the list of names following the flood. It's here at the start of chapter 12 that we see God decide that since punishing all of the earth was an ineffective means of dealing with sin, then perhaps, perhaps establishing a relationship with just one individual might be more effective. And that's exactly what God does when he's choosing Abram, where people had sought to make a name for themselves at the Tower of Babel. God sought to make a name for Abram just one name amongst many names. God sought to make a name for Abram and promises to make his name great for him. Abram didn't have to do anything. Abram's name is not going to be great because of his own human accomplishments by how high he could build his kingdom or how powerful he could make his army, but rather Abram's name was going to be great because he was the first person to receive God's gift of relationship. He was the first person to receive God's language of blessing. So friends, the truth is that Abram, you would think, there must be something really extraordinary about this guy. 
I mean, if God's going to choose Abram to be the first person to receive this language of blessing, there must be something pretty cool, something different, something remarkable. I mean, maybe it's not obvious, but you know, it is going to come up eventually, right? Yeah. The truth is that Abram, he never really did any great human accomplishment that made him worthy of this gift of being in relationship with God. He didn't do anything of note before God called him. We know that because scripture won't tell us anything about him. And then as we follow Abram's story, we see that he didn't really do anything good after God called him either. One commentator says this, she says, Abram wasn't really good enough for God, not really good enough for blessing. Consider his record. True, he offered his son to God as commanded later on down the line in verse, chapters 21, 22. But he also gave his wife to a mu- another man out of fear, not once, but twice. He gained wealth multiple times only to lose it again. And he exiled his son Ishmael and Hagar, Ishmael's mother, to near certain death. They only lived because God rescued them. In the New Testament letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul was right to stress about Abram's trust rather than Abram's actions and deeds because his actions and deeds were not of any positive note. Blessing did not come from what Abram did. Rather, Abram became a blessing to others because he was open to the ongoing relationship that God offered him And in accepting that blessing of relationship, Abram could then be a blessing to others. Which really highlights an important point, my friends. That point being that this initial calling by God to Abram is a calling of grace, given for no apparent reason whatsoever. Given not because Abram was good enough, courageous enough, wise enough, savvy enough. Given not because of anything that Abram did or could offer in the future. It was a gift given not because of anything about who Abram was, but given only because of who God is. Which is really important for us to remember. Today, as we carry on through this sermon series, but in our day-to-day life. Because sometimes I think that when we are considering how we as Christians might be called, we can be too quick to count ourselves out. And don't get me wrong, we have really good reasons for counting ourselves out. Because, you know, we're just interested in living a regular life and going to work and making a living and spending time with our friends and families and pets, you know, and being pretty good people. We're just average people. We're just one name amongst the list of names of the generations. We're not called. Or if we are, we're not called to anything extraordinary. One of my favorite excuses that the modern day church gives to back away from God's calling. One of my favorite excuses is age. I once had a congregant, her name is Frances. She's a wonderful person, she is so faithful. She's bubbly and she's engaging and she's thoughtful. 
And at the time that we had this particular conversation that I want to tell you about, Frances was 86 years old, which means she's in her 90s now. And she liked to tell me all of the time, she would tell me she had already done church. It was somebody else's turn. She would show up, but you know, there was nothing else she really needed to do. So in worship one day, we had been talking about how God calls us all, how God works in the lives of all people, regardless of age in specific. And at the end of that service, Frances was waiting for me at the back door, all five feet of her. And with this big smile on her face, which you're always scared if a Southern woman is smiling at you for no good reason. With a big smile on her face and with her finger pointed up at me, she said, Jessica, one day when you're 86 years old, I'm going to come find you and preach that sermon at you. <laughs> and believe me, if anyone will do it, it's Francis. Age is one of the biggest excuses that we as Christians give ourselves today to back away from God's calling us, of us. As though Abram wasn't 75 the first time that he was called. As though Paul had never said to Timothy, who was a teenager, that he should never allow someone to discredit him because of his youth. We think somehow that our age and stage of life should provide us a good enough excuse to think that God might not be calling us. We have a lot of good excuses for backing away from embracing that truth that all of us are being called first to just the same thing. We are called to be a blessing to others. Let me explain how that works. When God called Abram, God said, you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You will be a blessing and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Friends, it's not a blessing that Abram was instructed to hoard for himself. It's not a blessing that he was supposed to reserve just for the people that he likes or the people that he thought were easy to get along with. It's not a blessing that he was called to restrict or hold back as a punishment to those people who tick us off. If we are God's children and we are now adopted into the tradition of Abram, which we are, and we are now set to inherit God's kingdom through that adoption into Abram's family, which we are, then we are also set to inherit Abram's calling through our adoption as well. Which means that if Abram was called to be a blessing so that everyone might be blessed through him, then so are we. We are called to be a blessing so that everyone might be blessed through us. We might have really good excuses for not engaging in our calling. We might think that we're past our prime or that we're too young to be taken seriously. We might think that we are just one name among many. We might think that we have nothing of value to offer because we haven't done anything of note, anything that the newspapers will write down, anything that will circle the internet well after we have died. We have really good excuses for thinking that maybe we are not called, but my friends, we are wrong. We are called. 
And not because of what we are capable of, not because of what we have to offer, not because of the skills or the gifts that we can give to God. We are called because of who God is. Because God has blessed us with God's relationship. And so we, in turn, are called to be a blessing. Not just to a few, not just to those who go to church, not just to those of us that agree with us politically. We are called to be a blessing to everyone. It's easy, simple, but it's not easy. Friends, as we walk out into the world today, you will be met with many faces of people who you are called to bless. You might not like the faces that stare back at you. You might disagree with them. You might think that they are mean or cruel or they are not deserving of your blessing, of your gift. But regardless of what you think, you are called to bless them anyway. May we be a people, as we reflect now, who consider those faces that we bless every day and give thanks for them. May we also be a people, as we reflect now, to see the faces of those whom we have refused to bless. Join me as you will in a time of reflection and consideration of God's calling on our lives.